Welcome to the Leadership Mindset Podcast with me, Tony Brooks, where we look to revolutionize your leadership mindset by changing how you think and see your world, enabling you to do the right things and grow significantly as a leader. Welcome back to the Leadership Mindset Podcast series, and I'm really pleased uh, to have with me today, Helen Packham. Uh, now, a bit of background about Helen then. She is a leadership behavioural specialist and also a verbal communication strategist. She has done a TEDx talk. Uh, she's a speaking coach and she was a former curator for TEDx as well. And for about, I think it's about eight or nine months now, Helen, Helen has been my coach, helping me to get accepted to do a TEDx talk in Nottingham in January and helping me improve my keynote in, you know, in a big way. And um, a bit more on Helen's background then and, and why she's here today. She had an interest in human behaviour from the age of 18, working at Virgin Atlantic, did a psychology degree through the OU. Part of that was evolutionary psychology, which Helen was telling me earlier is the thing that grabs her most. So we're going to be talking about that today. And it's an area that's become more and more interesting to me as well. And I know that you, you, do, you do a lot of work on psychometrics as well, Helen, looking at the dark side characteristics of leaders as well. So we might come into that in a little while. So welcome, Helen. Thank you so much for having me, Tony. It's really, really great to be here. Good, good. So I've given a little bit of background, but um, if you could expand further on your, a bit of background about you, what you do and sort of I guess what smart your interest in evolution and that the impact on leadership in the more modern world from that hmm. well to cut a long story short because it does go back quite a quite a way when I was very little I was very interested in people and in a from a caring perspective so I always thought I wanted to be a nurse but as that kind of evolved and I joined Amdram groups around the time of being <laughs> an early teenager, I was like, I want to be on the stage. And so I set my sights. I wanted to be an actress. That was it. Took a year out after doing my A-levels and I got a job, just like an interim job at Virgin Atlantic in the call centre. At the time, Richard Branson had just launched a new department and it was new at that time. And it was a coaching department. And I saw these people coming in and coaching people and enabling them to be better and get better sales and customer service. And I wanted some of that. So worked my way towards that and got a job as a coach at 19. And that was kind of it really, because I was standing up in front of people training them. So I was getting the kick of of the the theatre, as it were, and getting a regular <laughs> paycheck. Um, also, I was incredibly shy. So that kind of made me feel more confident to do to, to stand in that in that position. But it was this people element and it was understanding behavior and how if I learned through coaching strategies, which I was picking up along the way, how I could adapt someone's behavior. I could influence someone to become aware of their own behavior and shift it and get a better result. And that was it. That was the start of it for me. And I knew then that that was my career. And so I worked my way up that learning and development ladder. Um, I moved into management development and sales sales training, and I learned more, lots of psychological techniques when I was in a sales training role. And then I went into leadership development, and I was lucky enough to get qualified um, within the British Psychological Society and um, really use psychometrics in my role. And that took a real deep dive into the nuances of 
behavior and why we do behave behave the way we do and what our dark side tendencies are which is part of the Hogan assessment suite which I use and I still use today um and so it's always been a lifelong fascination it's really understanding people listening to them and then that's that then moved into the other part of my business which I was asked frequently by actuarial leaders and much more introverted leaders on how do I give a presentation and how do I speak to a room? I just don't like doing it. And so I picked up the stool of, tool of storytelling and discovered that anybody could use it because everybody has it at a DNA level because of our history. And the, the two kind of worlds started to collide. It was really understanding, you know, why do we behave the way we do? Or how can we adapt our behavior for a better result? And then, you know, where's this come from? And I really do believe that everybody has the ability to tell stories, to influence a room because it is in our DNA. So that's then diversified into being a speaker coach and delivering a TEDx talk myself and then becoming a curator. So that's kind of a potted history. Yeah, fantastic. And when did you do your TEDx talk, Helen? I did my TEDx in Brighton. So uh, when I look back at that talk, it's riddled with mistakes uh, because I only had 24 hours to prepare. But it's a very pivotal moment because the story that I told was very much around my personal journey. Um, I ran away from my leadership career. I ran away from the high flying job and hid for pretty much four years yeah. because, because of anxiety and survival thinking, overtaking my mind and believing I couldn't stand up in front of a room full of people again. Um, yeah, yeah. I was able to bust that and move through that. And that's that was a key moment. But that was at Brighton. Yeah. And when, and when was that? Sorry. That was in 2017. 2017. Yeah. Excellent. Hey, no, fascinating journey there. And I think when you were talking about it's a big pop, what interests me as well. Why do we do what we do? And then how can we adapt it? And I know that in our work together, Helen, it's been really interesting to talk about that in relation to other people, but also myself and get, I've got to know myself better in the, uh, in the months that we've been working together. But I think it is, uh, I know we, we both sort of share that view that there's more, I guess, more primitive things going on than people might imagine in terms of why we do what we do and a greater awareness of why we do what we do leads on to that issue of choice isn't it which is an important word about being able to choose what we do um Absolutely. and the way we think as well uh we, as, as we, we do we do have some power over that yeah yeah no thank you for all the background there so as part of your psychology degree you did then we were talking about the fact that evolution was a part of that that really interested you so we touched on already but what why do you feel evolution is important in understanding leadership? Mm. Such a good question. And I like to think of it as leadership has been a fundamental, integral part of our history and our prehistory. Because we evolved in groups and that's how we survived in groups. And within those groups, there was complex roles. And there was there required leadership within those roles. And if we think, you know, even further back, even further back to, you know, when we were splitting away from apes and things like that, the genes that have passed on to us have necessitated certain behaviours that were 
dependent on the survival of our species. And those many of those are leadership tendencies and they still exist today. So if we're thinking about um, the biological foundations, the things that had advantages in natural selection still ring true. So confidence, charisma, the ability to influence, altruism, being able to make decisions, being able to resolve conflict, all of those traits and behaviours would have been essential in our prehistory, way, way, yep. way back. And, you know, even in, you know, 60,000 years ago when we left we, we left Africa just 60,000 years ago, we think that's just such a tiny amount of time um, that these traits and these behaviours are leadership qualities that still ring true today. So I think there's such a strong connection there. Yeah, and it's um, that that importance of leadership and followership um, to survival, isn't it, Helen, really, oh, that's, that stayed with us through time. Um, I was interested that you touched on the word altruism there as well, because uh, I know that's slightly contentious in the word of sort of evolutionary psychology, um, because, I mean, if you go to the basics and it's about survival of the individual, mm. um, then altruism... The idea of altruism, altruism is an interesting one, isn't it? And um, yeah. and I guess we do see this. We see collaboration. We see people in the world, in, in organisations, doing things that you might think are have little benefit for them um, and are, are based on helping somebody else. Well, what's your take on the word altruism in, in relation to evolution then? It is actually one thing that I was most interested in in my studies and because of really understanding where that comes from. And at the gene level, so Richard Dawkins spoke about the selfish gene. At the gene level, traits are literally singular and they just needed to survive long enough to be copied and passed on. Right? We Then we zoom out to the environments in which successful early humans thrived they were in group environments. So there's there's the kin selection theory where ge- genetically you're going to look after your kin. But then we yeah. see the behaviours of people within groups looking after each other when it's not necessarily apparent how it can help them. But actually, we've come to realise that there's a huge advantage in what's known as reciprocal altruism. Yeah. Group and group um, selection. In yep. that if you have a gene where you're caring for people and that's reciprocated, that's going to enhance your chances of survival within that particular group, within that particular that particular group of people. And of course, that leads on to a whole nother subject of other groups and hostility towards other groups. But if you scratch my back and I scratch yours, or you know, like with um in uh, I've been watching Chimp Empire recently, and it's a really good explanation of all of this on Netflix. Imp Empire, okay, yeah, it's fascinating. Okay. Um, you see how this behaviour of caring, grooming, calling when there's danger can yeah. actually benefit the survival of the group rather than the individual, because we're not we didn't evolve to survive on our own. So the term survival of the fittest is actually kind of a bit misconstrued, I think, because it's not that one person surviving. It's the gene surviving at the gene level 
but we have evolved to survive in groups and have a much more adaptive advantage by working in groups. So that's where the altruistic behaviours come in. And the more that was displayed, the more that was passed down, which is why altruism in leadership is a very important trait. However, what I see in my work is the leaders that have strong altruistic drivers, very strong altruistic drivers, often have um, challenges when it comes to the dark side in what's called dutiful dependent, uh, where that can flip over. So a strength can flip over and sometimes the care for others can muddy focus on the task and the bigger picture strategy. It doesn't happen all the time, but a lot of the time I do see that pattern. If you've got strong altruistic drivers, as we all have, we've all got Achilles heels, that can flip over in times of stress and then you can't see as clearly the task and the strategy that's that's ahead of you. Mm, interesting. Sorry, did you use the term dutiful dependence? So that's, uh, sorry, that is, um, that is a, the dark side trait on the Hogan. Yeah. It's, it's called, it's now, sorry, it's now called just dutiful. It used to be called dutiful dependent. Essentially, it is when you're feeling stressed, overwhelmed, Sometimes also when you're underwhelmed as well, it can happen. You defer too much. You lose sight of yourself in something. You would okay. uh, overplease. You would say yes and overburden yourself and not, not center yourself in something. Um, and then that's it to your detriment because that's working against your well-being, your boundaries, your ability to say no in a situation and you're deferring even more so than you normally would, finding it hard to make decisions, those that sort of thing. Hey, no, that's interesting. And um, I guess in, the, in my sort of realm where I talk about survival psychology, um, a lot of what I talk about is people going inwards in terms of uh, looking for vulnerability threats and what have you. And um, that that uh, I guess that fear of not being good enough that I, I think is inherent mm-hmm. in, in the human species, really, whether that's whether that's passed down through the genes or partly learned or a combination of the two or whatever but that that and then what comes from that is people can come from that is people pleasing because uh and i see that in a lot of people that that can become i mean that to a degree that is part of collaboration that is part of altruism that's part of group uh connectivity but that can potentially go too far and it's interesting you, you talking about that from those yeah. sort of dark sign traits yeah. really I've done this exercise uh, with around 80 senior leaders across one organization now. And um, senior leaders of various levels, the top, you know, one at the C-suite level and then the the layer below and the layer below that. And, you know, what I see is that at those levels, having that as an intrinsic trait is a huge benefit on one hand, but can also be of, of, of equal detriment on the other. And it's uh, okay. balance, balancing that out with other strengths and other areas that you do have to to compensate for that. And then understanding yeah. where it flips from a strength into an overdriven strength, overused strength. Yeah, yeah. What happens to trigger that? Yeah, no. OK, no, fascinating. Uh, we could spend a lot of time delving further into that. Maybe we ought to have another podcast episode going on, particularly into dark side traits. Um, what do you think? is helpful for leaders to be aware of in terms of evolutionary history, uh, in terms of what you were saying earlier about an understanding of why they might behave 
like they do and how they can, I guess, gain a greater control over that? Yeah, so I think, you know, if we think about some of the specific areas um, to look at, the first one I've already mentioned is actually um, around the ability to communicate. So um, storytelling is in everybody's DNA. And the reason why that is, is because this is how we communicated in our early, early days when we before we could even communicate verbally. And our, the muscles in our our faces evolved to articulate ourselves in that way. We were drawing pictures. We were telling stories on the walls of caves. And that's how we connected as human beings. It created a sense of belonging and meaning uh, when we could talk and we could communicate because we made sense of things we didn't understand. The burning orange ball in the sky, the moon, the storms, um, all of those things that created stories around those to tell each other, to reassure, to connect. And so every leader, every person, every human being has the ability to do the same and connect each other through that. So as a leader, it's an incredible tool to tap into. Um, the, the group dynamic, as we've already mentioned, is also you know really important to think about in terms of your the the group, the community that you are in, that you are leading and how you can all collectively work together and create meaning together. And this is where the psychological psychological contract comes in. And it's how we can create a strong psychological contract with our people so that they want to stay, so that they they are invested in working towards the bigger goals. They're not just turning up, doing work and going home. They want to be there. They've got a sense of belonging. And so really understanding the group dynamics and from an evolutionary perspective in leadership is is really important. I also think strategy is important as well because the whole purpose of evolution is to adapt, strategize and survive, right? And in leadership, we have to do that too. We have to adapt. We have to strategize to maximize the chances of, call it survival, success, of, of organizational success that is such an important trait it's such an important focus that we can't just go one direction and then that's it headstrong we need to adapt we need to analyze we need to think where did we go wrong what can we do differently what's that going to look like in the future and also i think it's it's important to look at diversity of style in leadership from that type if we think about the environment you're in the culture yeah, that can be so different. You know, I work with one company and I'm I'm working with them across a number of different cultures across the world. And I have really learned so much about leadership within those cultures and the environment and how that's different and the challenges within those environments. And if you work within a company that is international, it's really important to think about that in terms of leadership. Um, and of course, that comes from our history as well. Yeah. And I guess. um an awareness of in-group, out-group behaviour and how people can go into silos and there can be conflict. Um, A lot of when I come to the subject of fear in a minute, but a lot of that can be Mm fear-based. And uh, it was interesting, just going right back to what you started to talk at the beginning there with storytelling, that I was reading about that, that um, human beings um, have a highly developed brain and social cognitive skills to be able to tell stories. And it is 
almost like a higher skill in communication in compared with other species, I guess. And yeah. um, an amazing thing to tap into that I know not only in your work as a, you know, training people like myself to become better speakers, presenters, but stories uh, and stories about organizations. And uh, you reminded me of uh, a book I read called Legacy about the All Blacks new, you know, the r- rugby team, where um, when somebody joins the All Blacks, they get given a book, which is the story of the history of the All Blacks. And it's sort of from a cultural perspective, it's a real unifying thing. And I know I've mentioned that to other organisations that, you you know, the power that's in that to actually tell your story about what you're about, where you've come from. And people connect to that. Don't we have human beings? We connect to that. So an underused power, Helen. Uh, yeah. And just, just on that, you know, we are born prematurely. Human beings are born prematurely because yeah. our heads yeah, yeah. are so large. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we're yeah. born with, without the ability to look after ourselves, whereas, a, you know, a fawn can be birthed and be up and running straight away. Yeah. We, we are not because of those cognitive abilities. And there's been theories that suggest we're also born prematurely because our advances come from social interaction and learning. And that's okay. prematurely so that the social interaction advances our co- cognitive abilities. Um, okay. Maybe it's a combination yeah. of both. Yeah. I've definitely, I definitely heard about the increased brain size causing problems, which is why we have to um, uh, be birthed and then continue our development in comparison with other species as well. And interesting what you, you say about strategy, because I, I guess there's that for, yeah, for one of a better expression, there is that, sort of view in business you know change or die kind of thing so it does bring in that although you talked about success it brings in that survival piece because i think i know i don't know I'm, I'm sure from your experience as well working with organizations and leaders i have i think there's always that survival fear-based survival mentality about what could take the business down and you know and all those kind of things and um so yeah a number of factors coming in in fact let's let's link on to that question then helen um, how do you think fear can hold leaders back or, I guess, organisations and people back as well? How, how can that happen? I think on the individual level, you know, we have rapidly, rapidly advanced on the scale of evolution. Our, in the last, you know, however many years we have, it's just been a, 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 tra- a ridiculous trajectory of of. Um, innovation technology and all of those sorts of things the way that we live our lives and how we live compared to 60,000 years ago 20,000 years ago 2,000 years ago is is vastly different yeah and we are not programmed for it we are not upgraded we are still operating of a prehistoric you know an ancestral system and of course that has its drawbacks because we're not we're not condition we're not we haven't adapted in real time over a period of time to our current environment that's why we experience the challenges we do which are that when we sense threat perceived or real when we feel fear when we feel potential shame or exposure i'm going to talk about that in a minute in terms of public speaking we go into our survival, we go into our primitive response because it's a physiological response first and foremost. And so therefore the guards come up, we're looking, we're looking out for threats in our environment and our vision goes narrow. And so what happens then is we look 
tunnel vision. We're not, we can't access our creative problem solving brain because all the blood's going to the vital organs and we're just trying to fight the situation, flee the situation or freeze in the situation. And that's where these problems occur in the workplace and in all places. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and in normal life, isn't it? It just narrows, uh, fear can narrow our focus down. Um, so again, if, if actually let's stick on the subject of fear because I'm really interested to hear your views on this as well because obviously um, the term glossophobia that I came across a few years back and whenever I mention it most people have not heard of it but it is the fear of public speaking <laughs> and if you look and if you look at some of the polls allegedly worse uh, than um, having a, a serious illness or flying or whatever so people have this almost what appears to be an irrational fear of public speaking um where where do you think that's coming what's your views on that Helen where, where do you think that's coming from I feel that there are a number of sort of complexities that are coming up there that are rooted in our evolutionary past and again if we go back to the way that we evolved in groups and tribes there was a certain element of social threat so that meaning that if we put our head above the parapet, if we get the spotlight put on us for any reason, that could be risky. It could be a risky move because you could face social exclusion. You could yep. be outcast from the group. Yeah. If you're seen to be, um, uh, you know, also incompetent or um, causing problems then you can lower your social standing and status or you could be thrown out. And I want I want to give an example of that in Chimp Empire again, um, okay. because there's a really good example of that happening of because of uh, one chimp being like that, they get, it gets outcast from the group. And of course, then their chances of survival are incredibly low. That is where I feel the fear is rooted. Of course, there are many other things. Something could have happened when you were a child. Um, where you felt you felt shame or you know exposed or criticized in a public environment and so therefore that then has a huge impact on you feeling okay to stand up in the spotlight but I do feel it's rooted in our history because it was a survival mechanism to cooperate not necessarily have the spotlight on you and not be open to criticism or shame yeah yeah no I love that I mean I think um I did some training with Dr. Linda Shaw on neuroscience a couple of years back, which is brilliant, actually. Um, but when I asked her a question, she gave a, a similar response that she talked about that fear of being excluded from the from the pack, in effect. You know, the audience in front of you is, is the pack you're looking to be part of and um, and sort of fearing that. I, I used to say as well that and it's sort of tapped into what you were saying, uh, Helen, about having an an ancestral system to deal with the complexity of modern life and wow I don't, I don't know how quite how our brains are going to evolve fast enough to deal with the complexity of the next 10 years but I used to say that and I do I do still say that I think also what's going on is that part of our brain is trying to process what's happening in terms of being in front of a group of people and sees it as potentially way more threatening than it actually is because uh, again, it's it's hard to understand the modern setting when our brains are built on millions of years of development in a different setting, you know. Absolutely. 
But in understanding that, in knowing that, and having an awareness of that, that's where we can take, be empowered. We can take control. We can understand that it's okay. It's just my primitive system trying to protect me here. Yeah, yeah. What's the real threat here? And most people that I talk to, you know, when I did my TEDx um, curator role, I was coaching 12 speakers to deliver their talks. I was back backstage with each one of them before they went on. Each one of them was saying the same thing. What if I muck up? <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. The fear was coming through and I was coaching them off their ledge. I was because someone helped, helped me do that before I gave and it was just my talk and it was just the best thing they could have done. And it was all the same sorts of things, being feeling like you're going to do something wrong. You're going to say the wrong thing. But you know what? Well, TEDx audiences in particular, but pretty much every audience I've ever spoken in front of, warm, supportive, loving, cheering you on. They want the best for you. And so you, it, it completely goes against what we're fearing. It's, it's just not true. It's a perceived threat. It is. It is. And I think um, we can over exaggerate the consequences of things going wrong. I always remember you reminded me of something where um, I was coaching a woman down who's down in London and she was doing a talk for her, her own business. And she ran me on the day and was in a total state of panic. And I just went, are you going to die today? Is anybody going to die? Are you going to is your business going to be destroyed if it doesn't go well? And she said, I'm getting things out of perspective, aren't I? And that's um, I think what you were touching on there, that, that that's the case, really. And I think um, for me over the years, I've uh, done my best to be a better coach for myself. I and mean, it's great to work with people like yourself, Helen, because that helps you get in a sense of perspective. But I think it's in those moments, isn't it? It's either actually talking to other people is great, but it's bringing yourself down and uh, starting to engage the more rational part of your brain because the emotional fear-based part of your brain has taken over and, you know, all sorts of irrational uh, thinking going on and and reactions and feelings and what have you. Um, So, yeah. Okay. No, I like that. I think that's, um, that's a really good explanation of that. And as you say, I think with the things we're talking about broadly in this particular area, if somebody can get a better appreciation of what's going on, then you can say, oh, okay. So part of my brain thinks, you know, that I'm I'm in severe danger because I'll be an outcast from the group. And, but actually they're just a bunch of people who are looking forward to listen to me do a talk, you know, and it's. um, Exactly. I will say, you know, um, I went through cognitive behavioral therapy when I was going to have my anxiety disorder. And that is a fantastic way of, because we don't make good decisions when we're in, when we're in, in our irrational brain, when we're in our fight flight mode, we we don't make good decisions at all. And it's finding ways to ground. And everybody has different ways of doing that. For me, cognitive behavioral therapy and the techniques were fantastic. Like rationalizing a thought, like from yeah. one from one to ten, what's the likelihood of that happening? Yeah, yeah. Just to, to get you stepping off the spiral. No. Yeah. It's brilliant. And I think um, that some of the therapeutical approaches um, have got probably greater place in business than might be perceived, really. Um, there's a there's a, a woman I'm looking to hopefully get on the podcast series in, in two or three months who's more of a, in a way, uses therapy to inform what she does. And it reminded me of a, of a book I'd read historically. And I just think that... For me, I know we're slightly going off at a tangent here, but for me, I, I think sometimes we think that 
we are either mentally healthy or mentally unhealthy. And if we're mentally unhealthy, we need the help therapy, clinical intervention, whatever it might be. But we're all battling with um, stuff, aren't we, internally? Oh. And, and and things like CBT. I had CBT, wow, about 2007. And um, like you say, it's good because it, it can cut through some of that ancestral system that might be going on or emotional thinking and you start to go in a more rational way um you know in sort of embracing the cortex and the the more rational part of the brain um okay how what you know what really is going on here and it's a sense Mm, of perspective and um, so it's good to intervene with a with a few different strategies i guess for for leaders for people in general when fear is taking hold as it does in so you know so many ways really so many yeah okay let's take the discussion off in a slightly uh different way then where in what ways in a broader sense do you think um we can use the learnings from evolution to our advantage then i mean you started to touch on a few with the storytelling or whatever is there anything else you'd add to that in terms of not just leaders how we in a broader sense can take those learnings from what's gone evolutionary and use them to our advantage yeah i think first it's it's having a deep awareness of these things so the things that i touched on um in terms of uh, and and particularly i recommend self-awareness around your own your own triggers your the, yep. uh, what happens for you in situations what type of self-talk is going on if you want yep. to use a tool or a diagnostic to do that great if you want to just create space for awareness in yourself it's about understanding what those i call them derailers are there because they are derailers they can be career derailers yeah, and you, you talk about in particular specific key areas of, of survival psychology and the, the key areas that hijack us. It's really having a deep awareness of of when that's happening, so you can first of all have an awareness of catching yourself. Whenever I do my coaching sessions, I always start with first of all just note when this is happening, become conscious. Yeah, because when you become conscious, that's when we can tread new paths, new neural pathways in our meadow, in, our, in the meadow of our brain and and create new pathways which can go against the old ones. It takes time. It's always going to be yep. a journey, not a destination. But if you have a, an awareness around, first of all, what you can learn about yourself, what your strengths are from an evolutionary perspective in leadership, what your derailers are, and then how you can work on mitigating those and just being aware because you can reduce. I still... My deep-rooted traits are still there. You know, I've done a lot of work on them, but I'm much more aware of when it it's happening and I can step off that spiral a hell of a lot quicker. Yeah, really relate to that. And I think um, often when we talk about habits, I think people think of sort of practical habits, but there's thinking habits as well, aren't there? And like you said, your, your derailers are your ways of thinking that if you become more aware of, you can shift. And as you touched on, in my, my survival psychology piece, I talk about just briefly five things. So you've got imposter syndrome, which you and I both um, don't particularly like the use of the word syndrome. But, you know, people have those moments where they feel they are a fraud or what have you. You've got ego playing a part, which can be detrimental to self and others. You've got defensive mindset when you give them feedback, make mistakes. You've got the negative self-talk that can go on. We allegedly have 6,000 thoughts a day. 
Um, I think the elephant in the room is that people think they're the only ones doing that, but we're all sitting there um, having a conversation with ourselves all the time. And then the fifth there is uh, tribal behaviour, and I want to come to that uh, topic in a minute. But all of those, in a way, have got their origins in evolution uh, to a great extent and the problems that can come from those. And, And I love the way you speak about that, Helen. I think it is awareness first because i mean again that's part of the emotional intelligence model isn't it um self-awareness self-management are the first two parts of that and um from awareness comes power doesn't it and um that awareness gives us power to change things and as you said habitual ways of thinking can be new grooves can be laid in your neurology which is the beauty of our brains yeah yeah yeah, we can yeah. we can change it and it, it it is a journey it is a journey but we can become more aware of it and i think you know your five areas there are actually the, the key the key areas really to to look at um in terms of your development as a leader and where these things are hijacking you personally in what situations and how that's going against you what obstacles is yeah. that creating? you know the internal self-talk the um you know, it, that, there's a lot. There's a lot of work to do there in terms of com- talking to yourself with compassion, and understanding that it's just your protector, it's just your pre, you know, your your prehistory protector trying to save you from a risk that that doesn't really exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As you know, I, I put a post on um, LinkedIn today, uh, which you and I were talking about before I did it. Because uh, I'd have a, t- I'm going to cut a really long story short. I had a tooth out last week, and uh, my thinking, uh, partly influenced by survival, uh, sort of thinking, was just spiralled out of control completely. I've got a TEDx tour to do in January. I won't be able to walk on the stage. My business is going to fold, you know, and all this kind of thing. Um, so we can, and the, and the reason I posted it um, was I, I wanted people to realise that we all do this kind yes. of thing. We're all doing it. Even people like you and I are probably to a degree better equipped because we've we've got greater knowledge in this area. We're still we'll still do it. Um and, and that's um I say that sometimes sometimes to people that you your thinking will go down past and you probably can't stop that happening, but your awareness will be able to alter the path you take and uh, and, that's, and that's where the power comes from, isn't it? Really? That's it. Or step off the spiral quicker and get gain the power yeah. back yeah absolutely and that's what happened with me uh last week where I, I spiraled but then I got off it and found some quiet and just started to think more rationally and realize what was going on as well <laughs> you know from from marriage business uh, everything falling you know falling apart um thought okay I've been hijacked <laughs> by my own thinking but there you go well, that's just a beautiful post to illustrate that, you know, just because you're an expert in something doesn't mean you're immune. Oh, God, you yeah. Know, We're all human. You know, <laughs> and, 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 and that's part of the journey. And, um, you know, we'd have to, like, you know, live for another, God knows, a million years to maybe um, take, you know, get rid of these traits to sort of gene selection and all of those things to be able to adapt to it, to the environment we're even in now. So um, all we can do is, is have that awareness and make conscious choices. Yeah. Yeah. And you touched on, uh, I guess the, the, the fact that evolution is quite a slow. I think sometimes people think it's speedy, but it's actually a very slow process. When you think that 
we our origins of our species and this is my understanding helen you might want to correct me uh, sort of go about six seven million years ago to when we were more aligned with the chimp um and then it's taken all sorts of paths um yeah. as we go through from that um and only in what is it the last two hundred thousand years ago yeah. is it the homo sapiens but yeah. we've got a complete evolutionary journey over millions of years haven't we that um has been a slow paced one really very very you know and we are the only surviving uh hom- homonym uh yeah. species <laughs> uh yeah. and of all of the other species that there were and there are more being discovered every day uh, yeah, yeah. Of, of our history and how we have evolved and so it is and as i say we, we left homo sapiens as a species left Africa just 60,000 years ago. Yeah, yeah. And, and started traveling around the globe. And that's just quite phenomenal if you think of that's actually a very short period of time. And in, we are the same as we were then. We're not, we haven't, we haven't evolved in that, in that period of time because that's too short a timeline. Yeah, so yeah. How different I'm- we are. I'm loving the fact that you're saying that 60,000 years is not that long because my I've, I've got my 60th birthday this year. So my 60 years is now making me feel incredibly young in, <laughs> in comparison with that. So there you go. Let's touch on, um, let's just touch on a, a couple of those areas that we we're speaking about, just about tribal, um, tribal behaviour. How do you see that? sort of manifesting in organizations then and how can that cause problems again just from an awareness point of view for people listening to the episode i think um because of the nature of our evolution and the fact that we did evolve in surviving groups that meant there were other groups and so the survival of the, the 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 your group over another group was paramount and so therefore that is why we have this type of behavior in organizations because it does it goes back to that sense of a group within that group you have group selection you have kin selection within the group and so therefore you have loyalty within the group and belonging within the group it was then an advantage to have an out group so that that group over there who could be in another department another part of the organization yeah yeah where you get conflict happening because silo mentality, I work within my yeah. silo, and 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 so, but this can cause problems. It's it's from a, an evolutionary perspective, it's a, it's advantageous, but in our modern day world, connection, collaboration, cross yeah. cultural connection and belonging, and looking at it towards the bigger picture of the organisation. What are we all working towards? Is a much yeah. better view. Yeah, I guess the uh, and, and you mentioned silos and I guess you can get it with the feeling of us and then kind of that there's management and there's the rest of us and the management exactly. got their own self-interest and all those kind of things. So I guess we're talking about the fact that we need to be aware that this is a default way of uh, humans processing life and behavior and what's going on. Um, and then then you've got a greater chance of, I guess, empathise, coming from a more empathetic point of view as a leader, because you understand why it's going on, but yes. then attempting to do something about it. And um, and I guess there's the opportunity for an organisation as a whole to work on creating that more collective culture and identity and sense of oneness and making the, the, the organisation as a whole part of the in-group 
and other organisations around, without getting hugely competitive about this, but it's almost creating that collective identity that, you know, I often say to businesses, get you all your people understanding the meaning and purpose of what you're doing and how it's important to them as well as you. And, and then you start to build, uh, I guess, a consistent mentality about what the organization's about. And so you can use it to your yeah. advantage then, can't you? That's right. You're right. Culture is a huge part. Organizational culture and creating one big in-group is really important. It's also important to understand it's not just hierarchical in-group, out-group. It's generational as well. We see yeah. issues arising between generations and the discord yeah, yeah. and misunderstanding and miscommunication and that's also something to address you can have lots of in groups and out groups within even you know like one department um yeah, yeah. and that yeah, and yeah. that it's really important to look at that but everything you said there absolutely is true god yeah yeah i mean you can even have it even within a team you can have a split within a team can't you and you start to get those bre- so i think it's it's noticing that it's happening and doing your best to address it quickly because the more deep rooted that gets the harder isn't it helen i guess it does to, because to deal we, with. we start then getting an individual mindset and actually you know when we do that the survival of the group yeah. of, is going to be threatened and so um, this creating a sense of culture, creating a sense of belonging, togetherness, connecting people, having a strong psychological contract with the organisation is yeah. developing that is really important. Yeah, no, brilliant. Uh, and then the other just there a brief one to touch on, which I spoke about a little while ago, is um, the, this concept imposter syndrome, which has really grown in prominence. I think sort of first came out in the 70s, but I'm sure... And I want to know you've been seeing it as well as a lot more spoken about the last sort of two or three years. What do you what are your views on imposter syndrome briefly and, and what do you think is going on there then? Again, you know, I'm just obviously not an expert in imposter syndrome, but just from my experience of experiencing myself and seeing many, many people experience it, I don't think it is a syndrome. I think it is another so it's just a survival reflex. It yeah. is helping to protect you from perceived threats to keep you safe you think about that the reason why people don't like the spotlight um because of the uh, evolutionary advantage there was to keep you know keep within the group and cooperate within the group if you start putting yourself out there putting yourself forward for a position or whatever yeah, it might yeah. be that might trigger that that feeling it's just that instinct trying to protect you from a threat it's not real. It's not true. You do know your stuff. You are worthy. It's just trying to protect you. Yeah, no, interesting that, that it's um, that view of imposter syndrome, if we, we, we call it that, because that's the label it's used a lot, is partly about, um, I guess, standing out from the crowd a little bit. Because when you mm-hmm. go for a new position, and it might be, for example, You've been in a team and you're stepping up into a leadership position and which starts to take you. I've not really thought about it. That's interesting. Take you away from the feeling of being part of the pack. So there's even uh, there's even more of a threat perceived in doing that as well on top of other things. So, hey, no, I love that. That's brilliant. Hey, wait, Helen, we could talk for a long time and you and I will continue to talk about this topic outside of this podcast interview. But thank you so much for sharing your expertise your knowledge that you've gained on on this because i think it's i I just such a fascinating area and there's so much going on that we're probably not aware of in modern society and we've touched on some really fascinating areas that i think if people are 
uh, if it's all whetted their appetite to find out more than they can do, go and do further reading, go, you know, find out podcast series on evolutionary psychology and those kind of things. Because um, I, I think that message really from you, Helen, I think through awareness comes strength and the ability to change things really. Um, and, that, and that's the most in, important part of all of this. So thank you hugely. And before we finish, how can people find out more about you than Helen was? Where are the best ways to find out more about you? And I know you've got um, a new program that this episode will be out in July. Uh, I don't know whether, whether the timing of that works, but I know that you've got a new program. You might want to touch on that as well. But, yeah, just share where people can find out more and um, how they can get involved with working with you then. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So the best, probably the best place to find me is on LinkedIn. I'm Helen Packham on LinkedIn. It'd be great to connect with anybody there. Um, I do post a lot of stuff um, around these sorts of subjects at the moment. I am focusing on public speaking because I have a program um, <laughs> called Ultimate Speaker that will be, and by the time this goes out, it will be, it will be live. And essentially it's got everything that you need in order to be a credible expert in your industry through speaking. So really taking your expertise and putting it into keynotes, putting it into a TEDx talk, uh, all the skills and techniques that go into that, how you can be seen as a thought leader for your ideas and how you actually land these gigs as well. Um, so that's coming out. Um, yeah, it's actually going to be um, end of June. But yeah, when this comes out, it will be there. Yeah, and I, I, I just add that um, I have learned so much from working with you the last seven or eight months both in terms of putting a talk together landing a TEDx myself um as you say becoming a thought leader so I can only recommend Helen so highly myself really if that's what you're looking to do more of um then absolutely I mean I've been doing it in a one-to-one capacity but there's that program there and there's other ways to connect with you so um yeah okay brilliant so Helen Packham on LinkedIn and um I mean, I would say anyone who's interested, just connect with Helen and then you can drop a line, maybe have a conversation if it's an area that you feel you need help on. Whether it, I guess it's the, going back to it as well, the, the psychometric side of things as well. If organisations mm-hmm. are looking to yeah. look into those dark side traits and the psychometric side of thing, then, and you call it, what is it, the Hogan psychometric? I use the Hogan suite and I usually combine yeah. it with a 360 for maximum yeah. depth and exposure to those issues. <laughs> uh, um, you've got to be ready for you've got to be ready for 360 degree feedback um, especially with dark side trades but yeah i find it's, it's the most it's the most effective thing to really incite behavioral change um yeah okay. and within culture as well if you look at it at yeah. a group level so yeah hey, you know fantastic all right then helen well thank you hugely for appearing on the uh, leadership mindset podcast series and, and sharing all that and um yeah much appreciated Thank you. If you want to explore your leadership mindset in more detail, why not complete our free leadership diagnostic at thetonybrooks.com and subscribe to this podcast to join us for future podcasts.